All right, I'm going to go in the intro now. All right, hit it. You're listening to Season 2, Episode 4 of Hip Squared, American Fantastics Pop Culture Podcast, celebrating everything from the mainstream to the independent, weird, old, and local. Troy, how's it going? John, do you know the name of the mountain on Maui? Go. The name of them? Is it Mount... Kalukaluka waka waka hakalaka nikalika lika laka pinjero. No, it's actually halamaka Okay, no, it's a halayakala. So yeah, so I wasn't too far off. No, you you actually got the hala in there. I was kind of surprised. I apologize for that borderline racist joke I just made. It's funny because it was so close. I think since we're making fun of a language, it's kind of okay. I don't know. It sounds... Wait, is it okay or does that make it worse? I think languages... Because I could make up like silly French words and it would be just as ridiculous. I mean, I wouldn't blame you. The French made up silly French (laughs) words, so... But Troy is alluding to his honeymoon to Maui. Yeah. That he just came back from. It was amazing. Um, Turns out it's really rough coming back from paradise. I bet it is. Um, but is it just like everybody in like seashell bras and like uh, pineapple? Everywhere? I will tell you one thing: there are uh, two kinds of people on Maui: those that live there and those who are on their honeymoon there. Yeah, but <laughs> um, I those think... that live there are like people employed by yeah to... <laughs> employed to to treat the honeymooners that are there. I, I take that back. There's one other group of people: those going for their anniversary. But yeah, mostly it's it's honeymooners there. Yeah, most one... of my familiarity with Maui is with Maui Waui. What is Maui Waui? That's a strain of marijuana that's grown in Hawaii. Oh, yeah. really? <laughs> yeah, we didn't hear about Maui Waui at all. <laughs> I don't think it's really your <laughs> cup of tea, so to speak. No. But I also know about Hawaiian pizza, which, mm-hmm. did you know that, that actually originated in Canada? Really? Yeah. I was going to ask if Hawaiian pizza is classified as pizza, because there's a lot of people I that would say it's not really a pizza. Said. Did you take any rocks from Hawaii? Um, we took exactly one rock from Hawaii. Okay, because there is this. Um, oh, did I did I just admit to a felony or something? No, it's um. Well, that's not the worst part. The worst part is that there is often a curse associated with rocks taken from sacred places, especially in Hawaii. So if you start to have really bad luck, then you should just mail your rock back to Hawaii. I mean, but like, <laughs> would one of the only black beak beaches in the world that's not considered a sacred place right probably not probably not i think it's more like if you take it from a place that's like a sacred or a burial site or something oh okay but i listen to some paranormal and supernatural podcasts and there's some episodes about people that have taken rocks from various sacred spaces a la the brady bunch (laughs) (laughs) episode where they go to hawaii so just be careful any any uh visitors to foreign lands well i guess hawaii is technically not foreign but you know what i mean it feels like it when you're there Welcome back. Yeah, Troy, I went to his wedding. It was a beautiful ceremony, and um, we're all very happy for him and his wife, Abby, Mm -hmm. and glad to have you back. Mm -hmm. Did Uh, you notice how tan I am? Yeah, you're like one shade darker. Aw, it's nice that you lied like that. (laughs) (laughs) You went from ivory to eggshell i didn't realize how white i was until i was at my wedding hug- and like seeing pictures where i'm hugging my mom yeah um she is so much tanner than i am it's all those years of being in the sun in the six in the uh 70s and 80s like turn her skin to like like you know like a nice dark orange where i look pale mm. as a ghost <laughs> next to her uh, i look like a nice piece of tanning leather 
including the aged skin. That's good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, let's get down to brass tacks, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are here to discuss pop culture after all. And um, I'm going to introduce as our first exhibit, uh, The Dragon Prince, mm-hmm. which is a 2018 Netflix series. And it's uh, created by Aaron Ihaz, which you might remember from the opening credits to Avatar The Last Airbender and his writing partner, Justin Richmond. And this is an action comedy slash drama in a fantasy setting. So similar in tone to Avatar The Last Airbender, but instead of having a quasi-magical ancient Asian setting, like in Avatar The Last Airbender, it's more of a typical Dungeons & Dragons, Tolkien-esque fantasy world. Um, but it's got a lot of the same tone, a lot of the same animation style, a lot of the same kinds of characters, but it's still unique enough that I think it brings some new things to the genre. It's one that I've seen and it's like, oh man, I want to watch this, but it's just on that list of, uh, TV shows that I want a lot that I want to watch that like just keeps getting added to. Yeah. But the, uh, yeah, the animation style really reminded of Avatar The Last Airbender. Does Mm -hmm. it have the same humor? It does, and it even has some of the same voice actors. So, the boy, the man who voices Sokka. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm assuming it's a man. It could be a woman. <laughs> I think I think it's a man. Okay, uh, the person that voices Sokka voices a character named. I think it's. Oh, man, I didn't write this name down. Um, <laughs> oh, Colum, Colum, and that's the one of the main characters. He's the Step Prince. So his, so I'll kind of go through the overall premise before I get into the individual characters. Yeah, give me a lowdown. So the introduction to the series is is kind of like all of the history that you need to know up to that point is in the first three minutes, and it's and it's kind of like uh, visited upon again in the opening animation for the following episodes. There is a terrible war between humans and elves, and in the middle of this war were dragons, and the dragons became so powerful that the humans used dark magic to destroy them. And so at the beginning of the series, you think the dragons have gone extinct, and so in the first episode, there's a... Um, and so that, that leads you up to the history, and I'll just kind of spoil the first episode and then try to give light spoilers after that. But there is an elf woman named Rayla, and she and a, another group of moon shadow elves. So think of kind of like Tolkien or Warcraft elves, but these have small little horns on their brows. They take a blood oath to assassinate the king and his children for vengeance for the dragon king and his egg being destroyed. Um, so... In the course of that episode, you learn that this, uh, the stepson to the current king, Caleb, and his little brother, Ezrin, um, are kind of like training to become, you know, prince and uh, crown prince. They, uh, Callum is a teenager, Ezrin is a little boy, probably about um, eight or nine, and Harrow is the king, the current king, and his former wife was Callum's mother. Okay. So I don't know who Callum's father is or if that they even get into that. 
And so that's um, the kind of like the human side. Rayla is the mm-hmm. only elf that's very important. And she kind of gets separated from her group of assassins after she lets a human go mm. instead of killing him. And he warns the humans that there's elves nearby. So instead of becoming a very simple assassination mission, now it's become much more dangerous. And so Rayla goes off on her own to try to kill the king herself and then kind of gets caught up with the human children. And in the course of that, there's also a dark wizard named Viren and his children, Sword and Claudia. I know these are a lot of characters and I'm trying to... I was going to say, yeah. don't worry. You guys can uh, you can look at the genealogy tree that John's <laughs> going to post with the episode afterwards mm-hmm. and um, that'll clear all well, this right up. Like, <laughs> it sounds like a lot of characters, but these are all, honestly, all the main characters throughout the, almost all of the series. And uh, Viren has two children, Soren and Claudia. Soren's kind of like a beef-headed, um, bro-y knight. And Claudia is, is uh, his smarter daughter who also practices dark magic. Hmm. They have actually hidden the dragon egg and are going to use it for their own purposes. But Rayla, the Moonshadow Elf, discovers this. And then at the end of the first episode, she and the two children of the king escape with the egg to return it to the elves in hopes of ending the war between humans and elves. They suspect that there's a big war that's about to break out Mm. and that's what they're trying to prevent. So what it all boils down to is that there's elves and humans that are in opposite factions that are working together to try to prevent a war. Mm -hmm. There's lots of cool action scenes, especially with Rayla. She's very acrobatic. Okay. She has twin daggers that she uses. I know. It's really neat. (laughs) There's not blood, but there's definitely death. Mm-hmm. in the series and uh, for a kids show it's actually fairly mature okay so sort of trying to remember an avatar is there death death yeah there's death in avatar there's also i'd say cora the legend of cora is even slightly more mature okay and i would put this about on the same level as the legend of cora i think mm-hmm. kids could watch this probably around six or seven years old okay. i don't think it's too scary per se there's also a lot of kid humor. There's lots of really neat animation. And I don't even think a kid would have to really even understand the plot to get the humor and the cool mm-hmm. visuals. There's uh, some really charming characters. Kind of the mascot of the series is this creature called Bait. <laughs> and um, it's kind of like a cross between a pug and a lizard. <laughs> sort of like one of those hybrid creatures that's in Avatar. Okay, I was going to say, is it, is, it a, is it a dog lizard? It's very reminiscent, yeah. <laughs> It's it's in a he doesn't speak. It's not like an intelligent creature, but he is a chameleon mm. of sorts. So depending on his mood, he'll change different colors. Okay, so it's like Momo or Appa. From, yeah, kind okay. of like that. And they just kind of take him along on all their little adventures. And um, his name is Bait, and he's just like a really silly kind of like comic relief sort of character. Oh, okay, but um, so the show itself, yeah, it sounds like I'm getting. I recognize from the art that it was from the same creators of uh, Avatar. No, is it the same like artist same or is it just the writer? I think it's the same style of animation. I don't know if it's the same studio or not. Okay, DreamWorks is no, not DreamWorks. It has its, its own studio. I okay. can't remember what it is, but it's distinct. It's not the same studio, but I think it's the same art style that they're. And I, when I think of this art style, I think what it's most reminiscent of is Hayao Miyazaki and. Princess Mononoke. I oh, okay. think it's the same, like, 
I think Avatar and a lot of those shows, like even Voltron mm-hmm. that we talked about last season. Is it like a Netflix studio? Yeah. It's, okay. Well, it's, it's Netflix that released it, but I don't think... See, a lot of times what people or what Netflix will call a Netflix original isn't even produced from scratch by Netflix. What will happen is that Netflix will buy the rights mm-hmm. and distribute it, but that uh. doesn't necessarily mean... like They might have just gotten the show when it first um, was looking for a publisher. See, I noticed that because there's um, even Great British Bake Off season six, which just came out, is listed on Netflix as a Netflix original. Like yeah. a, they had that splash screen before each show, yeah, which I, I didn't- know how they're able to get that branding. Right, even. <laughs> right. I thought that was strange with uh, how like, I mean, it's obvious, obviously created by the BBC. It's been going on for years. How is it considered a Netflix original? Yeah. But I, I don't know. I think what it is is branding more than anything. Mm-hmm. But they, for this- Netflix paid a lot of money to be able to put Netflix original on the front. Exactly. So what this, um, what Wikipedia is telling me is that the production company is Wonderstorm and Bardell Entertainment. I think Wonderstorm is the name of the actual studio that produced it. Okay. So the distributor is Netflix. Okay. Uh, started September 14th, so it's still fairly recent. You can mm-hmm. binge all the episodes if you want to catch up. How many episodes are there? I believe the first season has nine and... That's not bad. It's already been renewed for a second season. Did it leave you with a cliffhanger that requires it to have a second season? I am only on episode seven right oh, now of okay. nine. Okay. So I have not gotten a chance to finish it. But um, I imagine most of these series will kind of leave you either on a cliffhanger or like there will be loose threads that could go on to a second Like it'll season. pull together an arc and then leave threads for the next one. Because that's yeah. what Avatar did. I think I thought what happens at the end of the first season is there is a a big reveal or there's like a big, not, I don't want to say plot twist, but like a plot development that makes you want to keep watching the series. Right. So I won't go into that. It's already, I think, unintentionally been spoiled for me by going into Wikipedia and looking. Because <laughs> I was trying to Oops. figure out like, well, I was kind of trying to look at the episode guide and figure out where I stopped and where I, where to continue and how many Episodes and all that, but... Um, <laughs> Sorry, John. It's okay. <laughs> I spoiled... Well, speaking of Great British Bake Off, there's a spoiler for one of the seasons of Great British Bake Off in the description of the season on Wikipedia. Is it really? Yeah, and so, so I knew who won when I was just a few episodes into the season. Oh, that's frustrating. But um, but yeah, so I would definitely recommend The Dragon Prince. It's, it's really a good kind of show if you're looking for th- something in the Avatar The Last Airbender Voltron Legacy of the Defender before you segue of off too much mm-hmm. um, you, read, you read the books in the Aragon series right? I read the first two. Okay because I was getting a lot of similar vibes between like Last Egg, there's Elves and Humans is I, that just coincidence? I, I would say Aragon is probably at least partly an inspiration. Okay uh, I know yeah the egg is very important because in the first book mm-hmm. doesn't the egg hatch at the end of the first book or is it it's like at the beginning of the, the, the first book at the beginning of the first book okay. yeah so in in a, even going back to the game of thrones kind of mm-hmm. vibe there's there's even yeah like the the centrality of the dragons and there's even a direct reference to game of thrones because <laughs> the king says winter is coming ah. and it's kind of like a wink to the camera sort of thing <laughs> which only adults should get 
Mm-hmm. Well, I guess kids might because of internet culture now. Yeah. But, but anyways. Oh, and the last thing I was going to say before we switch topics, if these kinds of shows are what you're into, there's also a new She-Ra series that just started. And you can also binge all of those episodes. So that's I've only watched the first uh, two episodes of that, but it also seems to be a very strong series. So if this is up your alley and you get through with Dragon Prince and you want something new to watch, She-Ra should be next on your list. There you go. Yeah. All right. So I was looking for a topic this week, and I wanted to focus on um, something a bit different. So I love science. And I was looking into science news, and one of the things I had just noticed, or one of the things I had noticed that had just happened, like within the last week of this being recorded, is um, the international community of scientists just decided to redefine what the kilogram is. Okay. Um, and essentially, sounds like a big deal, and uh, kind of is if you're in the scientific community. So let me give you give you the back uh, the background. Um, back in the beginning, uh, back in, I think the 1800s, it was around the time of the French revolution. Uh, there were a lot of enlightenment, uh, mm. scholars out there that wanted to, you know, create, uh, like really look into science and create these things for the future. So at the time, um, there were two, um, measurements that they knew they needed. Um, and that was the meter and the kilogram. So weight and length mm. they figured were really important. Um, and they decided that the best way to um, create a standard for this was they first created a, they had a long hollow bar of platinum iridium, okay. which is just a fancy metal. It's probably very expensive because uh, scientists, because the guys at this time were very elite and had the money and, you know, wanted to make it fancy. And they, all they did was they marked two spots on it from like, uh, from one distance to another. And they said, that's a meter. Okay. So a meter, is that, I thought a meter was. For our American friends out there, a <laughs> meter is approximately three feet. Yeah. Is a meter somehow a, like a like a degree or like a very infinitesimal measure of a degree around the earth? Or how does that even like. We'll was... get to that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, uh, d- during the French Revolution, they defined a meter as literally the distance on this bar from here to here. Okay. So it's uh, just arbitrary. It was very arbitrary at the time. Um, and it was, I'm sure it had been generated or they had like decided at the time, a meter needs to be about this length. And this was the, how they decided is like, this is going to be what a meter is. Everybody else's meter can be measured from this meter. Um, and they did a very similar thing for the kilogram. They essentially created a weight that was, I think about the pound, the weight of a baseball and said, this is a kilogram. Okay. If you need to know what a kilogram is, take this and compare it to what you have. Just put them on scales and make sure they're even. And then that's how Pablo Escobar did it too. <laughs> sorry, that's <laughs> we're talking about the weight of a kilogram. I know. I, <laughs> sorry, scales. I was just I, like the the jump from that it's to okay. drug culture kind of threw me. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so the um, that was how they decided to create these two measurements. You know. We like they didn't have any better methods at the time, so create two physical measurements that you can go back and confirm with. Um, scientists in the seventies didn't like this. Um, it's a very inelegant way of doing it to just say, "All right, this this is what it is." Well, especially too, I imagine when you're trying to measure tens of thousands of kilometers, even like a hair's breadth 
ambiguity could like over a million kilometers that could be like a huge gap of distance right so like they again it was it was these scratches on this platinum meridian bar and you have to consider okay how accurate are we going to be is it the inside of the scratches the outside of the scratches or the center of it so um all this boiled down to scientists didn't like this method they wanted a better way to do it um conveniently or i guess well we'll say conveniently around the 70s um scientists were working very hard on determining the speed of light um and at one point they got to the definition that okay we're going to say speed of light is 299,792,458 meters per second now since we <laughs> de- since they defined that they went okay well if we have to say that speed of light is exactly this many meters per second that means we've also defined how long a meter is okay so you could divide the distance between the sun and the earth and how long it takes the light to travel, and then you divide that by how many meters you say it's moving per second, and then you finally have a definite. Right. So basically you're using the speed of light to define the length of a meter in reverse. Yes. Okay. Now, true scientists that out there will be going, wait, hang on a second. That means you also defined how long a second was because remember this is meters per second we need all our units so uh fun trivia fact a second is the amount of time for the cesium-133 atom to vibrate 9,192,000,631,770 times somebody's sitting there counting that one two three (laughs) some machine right so essentially by defining how long a meter or how long a second was knowing how uh, fast the speed of light travels, we can now figure out how long a meter is. All right, cool. Okay. So they defined back in the 70s a meter is one over, um, it's one over 299,792,458. Um, so we've got a meter. Here's the problem is that for the longest time, they couldn't figure out a good way to do that with a kilogram. Now there's a reason for this. They all of the numbers that they want to use a kilogram on are being u- were being used in other mathematical principles. Okay. So I thought the way I understood a kilogram is based on a gram, and I think a gram was based on a mole of carbon atoms. Is that right? Um, so if that is the case, then what <laughs> it probably was mm-hmm. was actually that uh, a mole was determined by how many carbon atoms, how the weight of carbon atoms used to create that mole. Yeah. Because I don't know how Avogadro's number was created. We're getting there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so um, recently, as in like within the last 20 years, um, scientists figured out that they could figure out three values. They could give a constant number and give a calculation to be able to find a kilogram. And it needed three things. It needed... How big is a mole? What is Avogadro's number? And the most recent one, and the trickiest one for them to figure out, what is Planck's constant? Wait, I think I know this. Candlestick, ballroom, Colonel Mustard? I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, I, you know, is, does, burr, anybody, burr, burr. does anybody else have a, any of those cards <laughs> that they can show John to show him it's not it? Okay. So uh, tell us what all those things you just said mean. Right. So... um. 
here's the deal. Avogadro's constant and um, the mole we had an idea for. The problem was Planck's constant. Now, Planck's constant, we just figured out uh, back in 2008, essentially a way to figure out Planck's constant. So they figured out a way to figure out a number. That's how much they cared about this. Um, They used a, and I didn't write this down, I believe it was a Kimball scale to measure a a unit to figure out that it was, to figure out the value of it. And by doing that um, in 2008, they were able to confirm Planck's constant. Okay. And then using a different measurement, I think in 2014, they were able to figure out Avogadro's number for certain. Okay. <laughs> By using both of those, comparing it back to the kilogram, they could confirm, okay, all of these numbers match up. So we actually have scientific evidence. We have two different methods that are proving each other. Okay. This is the weight of a kilogram. So the big news was within the last week, after all of that math had been done, all of these studies had been done, measure, measurements taken, and scientists confirmed, papers submitted, four new definitions um, are going into the um, system de international or okay. the international system of measurements for the kilogram, the ampere, Kelvin, and the mole. Okay. So those four units had never, well, the kilogram in particular had never had a official definition outside of the kilogram is le grand K, which is the block that we had been talking about earlier that uh, the kilogram had been measured off of. So it's... So all this comes back from the speed of light and then doing all of those different measurements to go backward to figure all these other things out too? Yeah. Okay. So the moral of the story is science is crazy. They have been able to take all of these different measurements, all of these different tests, millions of dollars in equipment to come back and say, all right, if you, if let's say uh, 200 years from now when all of industry is destroyed, if you need to figure out what a kilogram was, you could actually do it, assuming that you had like millions of dollars so, of equipment still working. I yeah. guess the other question is, is if we ever contacted an alien civilization, mm-hmm. then theoretically all of these units would be constant. Like there would be a version of a kilogram. There'd be a version of an ampere. Right. Of, now how they define it, maybe they uh, define it as like they, maybe they say their kilogram is our gram, but like the math that we have behind it is um, true across the entire universe. What we have discovered and what we have said this is what it is is absolutely factually accurate, which is really hard to come to mm-hmm. uh, in terms of science. You'll hear, uh, you've heard about the theory of evolution. Mm-hmm. There's a reason it's a theory. Yeah. It's because it can never be tested. This is actually going in as a definition. That's neat. So is anything practical going to change? Like, do things need to be recalibrated? or things... You mean for, like, us or for scientists? Because well, for, for us... scientists... So for us, no, not really. For scientists, the most interesting part is now they have a definable number for Planck's constant. Okay. Down to seven decimal places, which is what it was required to be. Um, up until that point, they had been going on an estimate for 
Um, I believe it was for moles and for Avogadro's number and for a few of these different things. They have been going on essentially an estimate. Yeah. I mean, this is a lot of research into avocados and moles and plankton. It sounds delicious, doesn't it? Right now, I mean, you can make a great taco out of this. <laughs> <You could. laughs> well, it's uh, neat that you can understand all of that and explain it to a layperson because I, I had heard something about the kilograms weight changing, but I don't even think NPR tried to explain how they figured all this out. And... Right. So, um, and the reason that this all like, I think one of the big reasons that this all got like really pushed within the last 20 to 30 years was they had found um, one of the original kilograms. Because I think there were six made originally, all weighed exactly the same. And they had found that, and they compared it to our kilogram that we have, the Grand K, the one mm-hmm. that's everything's calibrated off of now. And they were 50 micrograms off of each other. Okay. Which means we had changed. Like what we had defined was no longer what we had originally defined. Well, that, I think there was a radio lab episode about this, but if I remember correctly, they came up with some sort of metallic ball. Mm-hmm. That was the new uh, Le Grand K. So okay. every, um, they made the original one, I think back in the early 1800s, and then they recreated it several times. Because it would degrade or there would be, it would slowly, metal would kind of come off of it. or Right. Either it was rusting or... The atmosphere, or the atmosphere it was in, was making the uh, metal degrade. And the last one they made in 2013, they said that like they figured that was going to be the end, or they were going to finally come up with a definition. So um, to wrap it all up, the uh, hollowed bar of platinum meridian, we still have that in scientific museums. Like as this is what was originally defined as a meter. So now Le Grand K, the the ball that was a kilogram, is going to get to sit right next to it since we have an actual number. So how long do you think it's going to take before America switches to the metric system? They never will. <laughs> so fun fact, on the International Space Station right now, they have to have two sets of equipment because the uh, Russian and the EU side of the International Space Station all uses metric units. While the American side uses imperial That's units. That's so strange because I thought even American scientists used the metric system. <sighs> yeah, but whoever they contracted out to do the work didn't. That's insane. It is insane. So um, if you want the uh, formal definition of a kilogram, I can either give it now or we can have it like as a tag along at the end of the episode. Okay. Go ahead and give it now. All right. <laughs> so the kilogram. So this is what's going in scientific journals as the definition of a kilogram. Okay. The kilogram, symbol KG is the SI unit of mass, is defined by taking the fixed numerical value of Planck's constant, h, to be 6.62607015 times 10 to the minus 34, when expressed in units j's, or joules, which is equal to kilograms meters squared per second, where the meter and the second are defined in terms of c, c is also known as the speed of light, and delta v sees s. Very good. I like how you used your Neil deGrasse Tyson voice to explain all that. Hey, man, when you talk science like this, you got (laughs) to. Well, thank you for updating us on the kilogram. Uh, It was very illuminating. I kind of understood half of that. Hey! (laughs) But if there's any other engineers or science-minded people, you probably were able to keep up with all of that. Our brother Thomas probably knows most of those things. And you can tell me all the things that I said that were wrong. <laughs> I'm sure that was hundred percent accurate. Mm. Uh, we did want to thank everybody for listening to hip squared. 
If you like the podcast, please go ahead and tell a friend or enemy about us. Uh, the ways you can help the show is you can like us on Facebook, share us on social media. You can also support us directly on Patreon. Uh, American Fantastic is on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month. That goes a, a big way in terms of helping cover the production costs and the cost for the website itself. We have good news and that Hip Squared is now officially on Apple Podcasts. Woo! So one of the best ways you can help the show in that regard is to subscribe to us through Apple Podcast or through another podcatcher app. I'm not sure if I have to add the podcast to those individually or if podcast aggregators will just eventually pick up that RRS feed. Yeah. But um, the most dependable way is to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or you can like us on Facebook. And as always, you can download those podcasts directly from AmericanFantastic.com or stream from AmericanFantastic.com if you would like to do so. Uh, speaking of American Fantastic, you can go ahead and check out all the cool content there. There is a recent Halloween update or a fall update with some cool new photography. There is a cool real-life supernatural horror story by David Jacobs about his encounters with shadow people. And there are all kinds of neat audio content you can listen to. The American Fantastic Radio Hour, all seven episodes all 20 plus episodes of hip squared are on there including the halloween special if you haven't gotten a chance to listen to it yet um also wanted to thank danosongs.com for the use of our royalty free intro and outro music as well as mayplex monk for producing the show uh, if you want to check out more from mayplex you can go to mayplexmonk.com troy am i forgetting anything no man i think you got it all all right well we will see y'all next time toodles toodles